Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to share this episode today. For many years, I've shared the principles we'll discuss, and they aren't my ideas. I've borrowed them from others, and I've learned a lot from the best in the world, and I've tried to outline a few simple steps that can lead to lasting happiness. So wherever you are today, as you listen to this podcast, I hope the principles you hear today will bless your life and help you live better. By the way, if you find these podcasts helpful, you could help by sharing these podcasts with a friend. Word of mouth helps us further our mission. Just share the podcast and say something like, I thought you might enjoy this podcast. Have a great day. And that would help us expand our mission and keep doing a little bit of good. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about this simple fact. It is no fun being poor. Now, if you look back several weeks ago to the Academy Awards, there was more to pay attention to than Will Smith taking the stage to slap Chris Rock upside the head. Coda, which won Best Picture, was the lowest grossing film ever to win Best Picture. At the time, Coda only had $1 million worth of sales. The lowest, the poorest showing in the Academy's history. Yet, it won Best Picture. And by the way, this was the opposite of Titanic. When Titanic won Best Picture, it had grossed over $2.1 billion in box office sales. Now, the cost to make Coda was over $10 million. And for most films, it's no fun having such a poor return on your investment. Coda is an English remake of the 2014 French film La Famille Bayet. Coda won three Oscars at the Academy Awards. And that will change the future sales of Coda and its value. Now, the lead character in Coda is Ruby Rossi. Ruby is the only hearing member of her family. Her parents and older brother Leo are all deaf. And as a result, Ruby is an outcast at school. And because a boy for whom she has a crush signs up for choir, so does Ruby. On the first day of choir practice, when asked to sing in front of the class, Ruby panics and runs away. And as the story unfolds, Ruby endures embarrassments, poverty, and hardships caused by her family's lack of hearing. Her parents, who operate a fishing business, strike out on their own and struggle running their business. They're poor. While fishing one day, when Ruby was unavailable, her parents are intercepted by the Coast Guard. And because they couldn't hear the ship horns and radio calls, They didn't stop their boat when they were asked and were eventually fined and had their fishing licenses suspended. They appealed and managed to get their license back on the condition that they have a hearing person on board at all times. Well, in the meantime, Ruby's singing voice is improving. Her choir teacher encourages her to audition at the Berklee College of Music and gives her private lessons to help her prepare. However, After the Coast Guard incident with her family, Ruby announces she is foregoing college and music and will join the family business full-time so that they have a hearing person as part of the crew. Her father needs her to help the family. Well, what ensues is a beautiful story of the family's conflict between poverty and opportunity. 
Her family attends Ruby's choir recital, and they can't hear her sing, but they see the reaction from the people in the audience. And that night, her father asks her to sing a song while he feels her vocal cords, and this brings him to tears. The entire family attends Ruby's Berkeley audition, and she sings Joni Mitchell's song in which the lyrics say, I've looked at life from both sides now, from win and lose and still somehow. It's life's illusions, I recall. I really don't know life at all. And this audition changes everything. The family finds a way to run the business without Ruby. Ruby goes on to move from poverty to college. Her family also moves from being poor in their thinking and perspective and understanding to rich in many ways. The community also moves from being poor in accepting the deaf community to rich in support of Ruby's family and their business. What a tremendous gift in life to look at life from both sides, from win and lose, from rich and poor, from ignorant to informed, from non-accepting to inclusion. In so many ways, we can rise to see and live better. And the truth is, it's no fun to be poor. And another truth is, no one has to be. There are proven ways for almost everyone to rise from their state of poverty, whether that poverty is monetarily or emotionally or mentally. And the opposite is also true. If we're not wise in our approach to life, even if we have some wealth now, we can become victims of poverty. Several weeks ago, I was speaking with a business partner who's a remarkable man. He grew up farming and has transitioned in his career to also building a remarkable business. His dream in life is to bring water to the most poverty-stricken areas of the world, and in particular, Africa. Over the last year, he and his sons have installed hundreds of wells in small villages in Central Africa. For example, in the Republic of Congo, only 30 to 40% of people have clean water. Clean water changes life for the people who live in those villages. And here is why he's so passionate about this cause. In any given village, there may be several hundred to several thousand people living there, and they often have no running water, electricity, or plumbing. And for centuries, the only source of drinking water has likely been a local stream, a spring, or a hand-dug well. And the problem is that during the rainy season, the wells or streams become polluted, causing cholera, diarrhea, and other diseases. Well, each morning at these unclean water sources, there's a line of people, usually women, who bring their plastic containers to the spring or well, fill the container, place the container atop their head, and take the water home. The water's used for drinking, washing, and cooking. And not only is the water difficult to access, but the people don't have the knowledge of why they need sanitary water. So my friend and his son dig wells. Each well is capable of serving a thousand people. They also provide sanitation training. The villagers provide the labor so they know how to maintain the wells, and the wells are designed to allow rainwater drainage and proper sanitation. The result? It changes everything. It teaches these people about sanitation, it greatly reduces waterborne diseases, and not just their health, but the villagers also experience 
science and innovation. And this boosts their imagination of what innovation can do. And the list goes on. Bringing people from poverty has as much to do with their learning and understanding as it does about them actually having a well or materials for wealth. And the same holds true for you and me. Now, a few of us grew up poor, not likely as poor as the people in the Congo, but we all have been poor in one way or another. Some of us are poor emotionally, some of us poor spiritually. And like Ruby, we may lack the skills or need a change in view so we can see life from both sides and rise from being poor in spirit to rich, so to speak. Now, when it comes to money, I've been poor. And it's no fun to be poor. I grew up poor, paid for my own college, scraped by as a married graduate student, and learned to work a lot along the way. And many of you, I know, did the same thing. I have a picture that I love, and it's a picture of my friend and mentor, Frank Vandersloot. In this picture, Frank is standing outside a dilapidated back entry to a laundromat. The picture was taken years after Frank lived there. But it was in this single room with no kitchen and no full bathroom, more of a hut than a building, that Frank lived while he was going to school. Frank says the same thing. It was no fun to be poor. It limited his social life, and he missed out on a lot of things. He lived there because without any financial support for college, he managed the laundromat for free rent and a little pay. And he worked and labored and graduated without debt and went on to create a remarkable multi-billion dollar company. Now, I consider him rich because he has an amazing family and company and is a remarkable person. I don't measure him by his wealth because he doesn't define himself by his wealth. Now, he can be found on the Forbes 400 list of wealthiest people in the country, but I mention that only because he rose from the back room at a laundromat to where he is today. And his life is a testament that we can all rise from our poor position in life. Now, there are a lot of ways to define being poor. I've seen people who have a lot of things and a big house and a nice car who are poor. They're captive to debt, and they've used debt for almost everything. Their goal is perhaps to impress others, or maybe they've just been unable to control their spending habits, but their net worth isn't that much. Now, when you go in for a bank loan, they'll ask you about your net worth. Net worth is simply this, the value of all your assets less the value of all your liabilities, or in other words, your debts, what you owe. So there are a lot of people who have a nice house, drive nice cars on lease, but actually have very low net worth. Remember, your net worth is what you have, less what you owe. So you may have a $2 million house, but if you owe $1.8 million on your mortgage, you're really not that wealthy. You may have a good annual salary, but spend so much that you have very little cash flow after all you spend. Let's say you earn $250,000 a year. And you decide to buy a house that costs $1.2 million. Well, your house payment is likely $6,000 a month. And that's $72,000 a year. So you really don't earn $250,000. You actually earn $178,000 after your house payment. 
but you also lease two cars with a $1,000 lease payment on each. And you have other debt on and credit cards and a boat, let's say, that you've taken a loan on. So you really don't earn $178,000 a year. You earn $132,000 a year after all those payments. And like everyone else, you pay, let's say, 38% in taxes. So even with your mortgage credit on those taxes, your taxes amount to about $95,000 a year. So you really don't earn $132,000 a year. You actually earn $36,000 a year after tax. And with that, you must pay for food and clothes and utilities and insurance and so forth. Well, that's $3,000 a month. And insurance takes $1,200, and food takes $1,000, and gasoline and other living expenses take more than $1,000, so you end up living off of credit cards. And this example, this very example, happens to a lot of people a lot of the time. Here's the point. People who make a good salary are often not wealthy because of how they've used debt and what they choose to spend. So here's my definition of true financial wealth, and it's three simple things. You're wealthy if you have no debt whatsoever. You're completely debt-free. You have adequate savings to provide for you and your family if you stopped working, and you're able to give away 10% of what you earn. So let's talk about how to reasonably achieve all three of these components of financial wealth. And let's start with getting debt-free. Remember, net worth is what you own, less what you owe. So by decreasing what you owe, you grow your net worth. I've shared this story before, but in my last semester of MBA school, my professor set up a special class for soon-to-be graduates. And if the students chose to do so, he allowed spouses to attend the class with us. And in the first day of class, he taught us a simple principle. He said, as you leave graduate school and start earning money, except for a home and education, don't buy it unless you can pay cash for it. Well, after class that day, my wife and I talked about this principle of money management, and we felt his words were inspired, and we decided to live debt-free, that this was an important principle that mattered most to us. Well, not long after graduation, we moved to Cincinnati and excited to be earning a salary, we rented a townhome and went shopping for a washer and dryer. At the appliance store, I remember standing in front of a new, shiny, white washer and dryer set. They were beautiful. Of course, we didn't have the cash to pay for it, and if we were going to buy it, we'd have to use credit. As we stood there, Jennifer looked at me and I looked at her and we both knew we couldn't buy it unless we paid cash for it. So heads hanging low, we drove down to the secondhand store and there we bought a used green washer and yellow dryer for $25 a piece. And we made a pact, a promise that as soon as either stopped working, we would go buy that new washer and dryer set. Well, (laughs) wouldn't you know it, but that old washer and dryer worked for 10 years. You know, during that time, we didn't buy a car unless we could pay cash for it. So we drove old cars for a long time. We didn't go on expensive vacations. But because we decided that living debt-free was important, at the age of 36, we were entirely debt-free. No mortgage, no payments whatsoever. And we've lived debt-free ever since. So that leads us to our first principle, the first step for getting out of debt. Except for a mortgage or education, Don't buy it 
unless you can pay cash for it. This is a life-changing decision, and it's not easy. But if you will buy into this decision, you'll immediately begin growing your net worth. And this applies to your car leases as well. Don't buy it or lease it unless you can pay cash for it. The second step is this. Decrease your monthly expenses by $500 to $1,000 a month. That's right. This will free up cash to put towards debt payments. Now, is it possible to decrease your monthly spending? Well, I've done dozens of building wealth trainings over the years. And in those trainings, we do a simple exercise of brainstorming ways to lower your spending. And it's amazing how many ways there are. Here's just a few. Renegotiate your home or car insurance. Cancel cable TV. Just use YouTube TV. That means cancel Hulu, Apple TV, and all the other subscriptions. Cancel Apple Music subscriptions. Lower your cell phone bill by changing your plan. Mow your own lawn. Clean your own house. When you eat out, split a meal with your spouse. Eat out less. Cook more. Carpool or ride your bike or the bus or train to work. Work from home. Vacation closer to home this year. Drink water rather than soda. Buy gas through a discount store like Costco or grocery chain. Use coupons. Refinance your mortgage. Brown bag lunch at work. Find a cheaper gym. Be satisfied with your wardrobe. Shop smarter and the list goes on. But you can see how each of these things adds up. And it is possible to save $500 to $1,000 a month. I mean, I get it. Look, it's sacrifice. But on the other side of that sacrifice is an amazing debt-free life. And once you're debt-free, you can spend the rest of your life buying those things if you want to. You can secure your future. You can save for real retirement. And you know, the habits Jennifer and I developed while we were getting out of debt are still with us. We don't miss the things that we thought we would miss. When we eat out, we often split a meal. It's less calories and less cost. Our dates sometimes are hiking or hanging out with friends or buying cheaper ballgame tickets on Craigslist. We learned that we don't have to spend a lot to have meaningful time together. My kids, when they were younger, didn't get elaborate vacations. They complained, but we're still close as a family. You see, life is what you make of it, not what you spend on it. And now is the time. Now is the time to get out of debt. Let's move on. The next step, step three, is to generate an additional $1,000 a month of income to your household. How do you do this? Well, when I was focused on getting out of debt, I always worked a second job. I taught school at night. And for a lot of years, I taught school. And there are times when I hated it, but it brought in the extra money that we needed. Jennifer did freelance radio work. She taught piano. We did whatever it took to generate the extra income. I believe deeply in getting out of debt, and I spent 20 years helping to lead a company that provides real income for people with something that they can do alongside their full-time job. That's a real doable option for anyone. So if you've recently started one of those businesses, do whatever it takes to generate that $1,000 per month as soon as you can. Now, there are other options. Ask for a raise at work. Too often we don't get because we don't ask. Find a better paying job. Now might be the time to upgrade your employment. Be the best employee you can so your employer wants to give you a raise. 
Take a look at your investments and be sure that you're earning the most that you can earn. In short, there are a variety of options and it will take effort, but it will be worth it. Why? Well, if you do these first three steps, you will have reduced your spending by $1,000 a month and increased your income by $1,000 a month. And that means you now have $2,000 a month to use towards accelerating and paying down debt payments. That's $2,000 a month in your get-out-of-debt war chest. What's a war chest? It's cash available to use. Now, you've heard of companies having a war chest for acquisitions or growth, right? Well, now you have a war chest. And in our example, you have $2,000 a month for getting debt-free. So that leads us to the next step, step four. Take that $2,000 a month and use it to pay off your lowest balance debt first. That's right. Not your highest interest rate debt. Why? Well, money expert Dave Ramsey says, because paying off the lowest debt balance gives you a win, a sense of accomplishment. And early on, you need momentum. Because getting out of debt takes sacrifice. So you need all the emotional energy you can create. And when that first debt is paid off, it feels really good. So let's say your lowest debt balance is a $5,000 credit card balance. Using your $2,000 a month in your war chest, it would take you about two and a half months to pay off your credit cards. That's awesome. When you're done, you now have a larger war chest. You now have $2,500 a month because you add the $500 credit card payment you were making that you no longer have to make to your $2,000 war chest. And that leads us to step five. What do you do with that $2,500 monthly cash flow? Repeat step four and pay off the next smallest balance debt. Let's say that's $15,000 you owe on your car. Well, with $2,500 a month, how long will it take you to pay off your car? Six months. At the end of six months, you now have one less car payment. You now have $3,200 monthly cash flow because you added your $700 car payment to your $2,500 war chest. And what do you do with that $3,200 a month? Attack the next debt. And you can see that soon you'll have everything paid off but your mortgage. And it doesn't take that long. And I can't describe the feeling of accomplishment that you'll feel when you have everything paid but your mortgage. There's nothing like it. Because you see how your life is changing and how your future will change as a result of your effort. Now, let's assume when you get to that point, your war chest has grown and you now have $4,000 a month of extra cash flow. And let's assume your mortgage payment is $2,000. This takes us to our next step. If you make triple payments on your mortgage, the rule of thumb is that your 30-year mortgage will be paid off in seven years or less. Imagine that. In seven years or less, entirely out of debt. You see, by cutting monthly spending and adding monthly income, paying off the lowest debt balances first, and then applying that to your mortgage, you're soon out of debt. I remember the day Jennifer and I made our final mortgage payment. I had gotten a bonus from work, so we paid the entire remaining balance. We went to the bank to pay it off. We wrote the check, handed it to the bank officer, and she gave us a receipt. I remember driving home the work and the sacrifice had all been worth it. And when I pulled into the driveway, I looked at our house. It was mine. 
No one else owned it. It was free and clear. Now, here's the best part. After your mortgage is paid off, you get something really good. Remember, you were making $2,000 mortgage payments plus $4,000 extra mortgage payments. And once that mortgage is paid off, you now have $6,000 extra a month. What do you do with it? Whatever you want. Here's what you can do. If you invest that $6,000 a month in the S&P 500 for 20 years, assuming an average return of 12%, at the end of those 20 years, you will have over $5 million in the bank. That's how you create real lasting wealth. But it is in the getting out of debt that allows this wealth building to happen. I've seen hundreds of people use this formula to get out of debt. And here's what I've learned. First, it isn't as hard as you imagine. Why? Because for most people, the amount they earn in their job or business increases over the years as they're trying to get out of debt. So they can add their extra monthly income to the war chest. And as a result, they get out of debt even faster. Second, in getting out of debt, you become content. And this gives you peace. You may not live in the nicest house on your street, but somehow because you're getting out of debt, you're content. You might drive an older car, but somehow because you're changing your life and getting out of debt, you're content. And soon this feeling becomes habit, meaning you're content with what you have. And you begin to place more focus on who you are and how you serve. And this changes your level of stress, worry, and you become a person who values different things than other people might value. And in my opinion, this makes you rich. I've seen people with a lot of things who are emotionally and spiritually poor because they believe what they have defines who they are. And this is a horribly poor way to live. When you begin the work to become debt-free, slowly but surely, the need to have or the need to show others what you have leaves your thinking. And this is a wonderful blessing in life. Remember, net worth is what you own less what you owe. And when you stop worrying about both what you own and what you owe, you gain peace. You stop worrying about things because you don't need as many things and stop worrying about debt because you're either paying it off quickly or you don't have any. That's when life changes. Now, investing your war chest in the right way and giving more money away also makes you rich. And we'll discuss that in my next podcast. Before we end, let's ask and answer a few important questions about getting out of debt. Question one, how do you find the discipline to do what we've talked about here today? Well, here's a simple rule. Make it automatic. That's right. Make it automatic. When I was getting out of debt, I changed my automatic withdrawal from my bank account for my debt payments. I contacted the bank and asked them to automatically withdraw two times my mortgage. That way, I didn't have to decide each month whether I was going to pay double or not. And somehow, after the money was gone from my account automatically, I just made do. I scraped and earned. And by making it automatic, it changed my questions. There was no longer a question whether I would pay extra on my mortgage, but the question shifted to how I would meet my budget after making that payment. And this Make it automatic principle applies to so many things in life that are difficult. 
So stop deciding each time you need to do something difficult. Make the decision once and make it automatic. Next question. Why should I pay off my mortgage when I can get a mortgage deduction on my taxes? Well, this is a good question. And some financial advisors will tell you to keep a mortgage and invest the money you would use to make extra payments on your mortgage because you can likely earn more from those investments than you're spending on your mortgage interest. This may be true, but here's what I've learned from long life experience. Once you are out of debt, you're likely to stay out of debt. And the peace and security of being out of debt is worth so much. As I mentioned, it teaches you to be content, to stop using debt to satisfy your wants. It sets the course for a life of frugality and humility and living happily. So, as we end today, Remember, it's no fun being poor, but like Ruby in the movie Coda, we can step out of poverty by getting a new view, and that new view is the power of being debt-free and how it can change our life. And like my friend trying to change the lives of people in Central Africa, education, understanding is most of the battle. So get educated about getting out of debt. Remember step one. Don't buy it unless you can pay cash for it. Step two, reduce your monthly expenses by $500 to $1,000. Step three, earn an extra $1,000 a month. Step four, use these extra funds to pay off your lowest balance loan first. Step five, repeat step four over and over again until everything but your mortgage is paid off. Step six, Double or triple your mortgage payments and do it as fast as possible. Soon, you will be debt-free. And watch. You will feel different, better. You will grow as a person. You'll be more content. You'll develop lasting habits that will change your life and change you. Because it's no fun to be poor. But it's so fun to be out of debt. Now, in our next podcast, we'll talk about how to grow wealth and give your way to a happier life. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.